Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. As always, my name is Matt Finch, and I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. It's none other than Brian Summer, one of the titans of the technology services arena. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, and uh, not sure about being a titan, but I, I'll take the compliment <laughs> anytime. <laughs> Thank <laughs> take you. Take it. So Brian has more than two decades of experience in the field, and one of those decades, he served as Senior Director of Anderson Consulting's Global Software Intelligence Unit. Of course, Anderson Consulting now being Accenture. Brian, you're a wealth of insight. We're so thrilled to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and what you do in the world uh, so our audience can get to know you a little better before we jump in. Yeah, so I did, I did 18 years, actually, with Accenture. And uh, you're right, 10 of those running their software intelligence unit. Um, I was a field hand with a company down in uh, Houston and San Antonio for a while, but then they moved me up to world headquarters. I uh, left the company uh, about 20 years ago, believe it or not. I'm really dating myself here, but I did that uh, to spend a little bit more time with my kids. Uh, My last Mm. year at Accenture, I did 48 international round trips. You know, so I was looking for a little bit different thing to do. So what did I do? I ended up being an industry analyst, and um, I traded some of those international trips for quite a few domestic ones. I've been covering the um, ERP and PSA space for quite some time now. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, perfect guest for our podcast. Of course, that services uh, space is exactly our target audience here. So I'm sure our audience will be really delighted to hear uh, some of the things you've got to say today. So, so let's get to it. It was for, we were doing a prep call for this show, and uh, you know, normally we talk through the sort of Q and A and what we're going to go through. But Brian, you came up with a really great idea. This feels like taking me back twenty years. We're, we're we're jumping into the top five. Now, you remember probably taping the top five from the radio. You got to avoid the adverts. You got to hit record, and then you're going to play all that yeah. those those great tunes from five to one. Right? That's that that's that's the style we're going to do today. But instead of uh, 80s music, we're going to hit the top five trends um, in the services and technology industry today. So Brian, we're going to jump in on number five. We're going to build the suspense, by the way, everyone, five to one. I can't wait to hear what number one is, Brian, by the way, this is going to be a lot of fun. So Brian, do you want to take us away with trends number five? What's going, what do you think is going on? Well, I think what's interesting in the services space is we're going to see something called like, uh, I called it consumer reports comes to services. And what this is all about is there hasn't been a whole lot of transparency around service firms and the kind of companies that a client might want to hire. And uh, I've certainly lived that in spades. I'm what's called a buy side industry analyst. I get my money from helping buyers of technology, not necessarily the sellers. And as a result, clients often struggle when they can pick some new technology, but then when they're ready to get it implemented or integrated, what have you, they really are lost as to who to pick. And when they look at the different proposals and RFP responses, whatever, from different implementers, uh, they all kind of look the same. You know, everyone says that, you know, people are a number one asset and we're all about customer service. And they, they've got lots, they're long on platitudes and short on real proof points. Mm-hmm. It's gotten to the point where a lot of my clients, they want something, some objective survey-based, whatever kind of tool that helps them understand who really does deliver when it comes to work with clients. And uh, that's why there are companies like Raven Intel out of Chicago 
that are doing all of that kind of work. And now they're focused right now initially on the HR market and they're moving into other, you know, horizontal apps, excuse me, including a little bit in the professional services space. And they're a godsend. I, I can tell you firsthand, I've called them in. It doesn't cost you anything to um, give me their rankings and, you know, of different integrators in, you know, when doing software selection projects. And I think we're going to see more and more of this in the space. And if I were an integrator or implementer right now, a service firm, I'd want to get ahead of this trend. Um, you know, companies are tired of integrators not exposing their conflicts of interest. They're tired of getting referrals from software companies of somebody's brother-in-law that has a service company and a whole bunch of other kind of behaviors that are not necessarily geared toward helping the customer be successful and pick an economically, you know, a viable kind of candidate here for an implementer. It's all about connections and relationships and things that really don't matter when it comes to mm-hmm you know, project success. So we're going to see more and more of this coming. I hope the Raven Intel folks keep moving into more and more areas, but they're definitely already starting to move into professional services a bit. Yeah, definitely. No, and I think the interesting trend I've seen over the years, you know, having grown up in the sort of, you know, certainly from a software perspective, like, you know, the Gartners and the Foresters and, and great people like that, but also the emergence of this crowdsourcing, you know, this true opinion of what my implementation of software was like, you know, there's, there's no bells and whistles or filter yep. through anything. You know, I get to put a review on a website and people read that review. What are your thoughts on that crowdsource style of, of, of reporting and, and, and analyst work? It has value. It also has a few problems. And I'll give you one example. Uh, if you ask somebody who recently bought, let's say a big, um, software package from one of the major vendors, it turns out that most people's marriages last uh, don't even last as long as how long people will hold on to a particular major software product. Mm. So uh, it's not uncommon to f- talk to company, uh, talk to people who've been using the same piece of software at their company for 10, 15, 20 mm. years. Yes. And they haven't looked at what other alternative products you know have available so it's hard for them i think to give an objective assessment sometimes of what's going on there so when you crowdsource there is going to be some bias in the answers but i think the key thing you know and this i've seen with service rankings uh when you do this kind of crowdsourcing is man there are some vendors that can get like uh, a 4.8 or 4.9 on, on a five-point Likert scale. And then there are those mm. that are down at the three level. Mm. And if you're, you're way down there, you got a problem. And if you're a service firm and you haven't done a legitimate, and I'm going to underline that word, a legitimate um, net promoter score assessment to find mm. out what people, you know, will your clients actually recommend you? Uh, you may be in for some pretty scary surprises, uh, you know, when these um, crowdsource kind of evaluations come in. Yeah, definitely. An interesting point. So you you put a lot of value on Net Promoter Score as a um, an indicator. I I only do when it's done legitimately. Uh, okay. You know, yes. I think I think yeah. we've all like bought a car and had a salesperson come over, nod nod, wink wink, and hey, mm-hmm. if you give us all tens on our net promoter deal here, we'll give you a free oil change. That's not a legitimate yes. response. That is a gamed mm-hmm. response, and there's been a lot of that going on. By the way, um, 
you know, in a, a lot of service companies install software. And one of the things you'd be amazed to find out is a lot of the software vendors out there have net promoter scores down around the negative 50 range. And you talk about a, a space in the um, tech world that needs some improvement in how they interact with customers. That's it. Great, great way to start us off. I feel like we need some kind of like jingle or drum roll as we go into the next ones here, but let's jump into trends number four. We're counting down to number one here. Uh, the number one hot hit we'll find out in a, in a few minutes time, but trend number four, Brian, take us away. Number four, I think we're moving into what I call the age of the global service firm. It's not surprising to me that uh, so many service companies and service firms, every client they talk touch and even their own firm is requiring them to do some part of their work in a non-US, non-North American, whatever kind of location. Even small firms like my own company, we've been doing stuff all over the world for a couple decades now. And we're not big by any stretch. I mean, yeah, I'd love to be mega gigantic or intergalactic in scope and size. Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine what the audit and tax bill for that work would be, but (laughs) But it's real, you know, and companies are sourcing, or excuse me, the customers are putting in things and, you know, plants, equipment, systems, whatever. They're putting this stuff in all over the world. And they go where there's abundant raw material, low-cost labor, whatever. They don't necessarily go where you want them to go. And I think every service firm's got to be able to build up a capability to handle these kind of requests because they are there, they are coming, and you're going to get more and more of them. Uh, There's also a a whole new ecosystem of technologies that will help support companies as they want to open offices and hire people in different local markets to provide services. And uh, one of them that jumps to the front of mine, and these none of these are plugs, uh, but would be Papaya Global that's really good at helping you set up operations in a completely new country in like in a matter of a couple of days. Mm. So I think, you know, I think there's work to be done there. And I think service firms have got to realize that you can't go deal with a global or multinational client if all your capabilities are limited to one country. You basically mm. just price your, you, you, put yourself out of that market. And that's not what um, that's not what companies want. It also means that there's some skills these service companies have to acquire so that they are much more sensitive to different cultural norms, business practices, rules, regulations, tax requirements, and everything else in all these different markets. And uh, you know, you don't want to this is something you don't want to learn on the fly. You want to be proactive and pick this capability up, uh, have this capability in advance. Yeah, definitely, and I suppose as well with with the advance of um, you know COVID and that situation, that globalization becomes more important because people can't travel. If you've got only people in one geography and they can't physically travel right now to another geography, you need people on the ground. You need that global uh, presence, right? There is some of that, and it's amazing. Techno- uh, clients have now gotten so good at being able to run projects uh, without actually requiring other people to come to them in some cases mm. that it now opens up a market opportunity for service firms to do work all over the world and do it virtually. Uh, yeah. I had a small project team of my own and we did a big 
uh, Factory of the Future project for a big multinational. Their executives were mostly in Australia. Their operations were heavily focused in the Western U.S. and Canada. And their Factory of the Future was in all places, Scotland. And mm. uh, and none of us, none of us on the project ever got on a plane and went anywhere. It was the yeah. weirdest project I ever <laughs> did. And it was probably one of the cooler global ones I've done lately also. So, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And and shout out to all of our Scottish listeners, beautiful part of the country, slightly biased being a Brit, but that, that would be a great place to go for any kind of project, I would think. Certainly if you could visit some of the, the, the sites and distilleries up there, wonderful. That's the only sad side effect of the project is we didn't get to go to any of those cool places. <laughs> and yes, like you, I do love going to Scotland and I've even sent my parents there, you know, on vacation. Um, I also love to go to Australia, which was another big mm. uh, deal. I've been there many times and thoroughly enjoy it. So that one it was hitting all of my favorite client kind of hot <laughs> buttons. But unfortunately, yes. <laughs> uh, there was that little pandemic thing that kind of uh, screwed yes. everything over, you know, for travel. Yeah. You, you visited Scotland and Australia, but sadly, it was via a Zoom call. Mm, yeah, by Zoom call. Uh, in fact, yeah. it was kind of weird running this project because I had to call up people in those locations at all hours of the day and I go, mm. get your iPhone or iPad and I need you to now walk around this plant and show me these things. And so I'm getting all these FaceTime calls from all over the world, oh, um, wow. you know, cool. with all this manufacturing stuff. Um, mm. And that was that was something let's say I had toyed with that idea in the, uh, in the past, but had never used it anywhere near to the extent that I did earlier this year. Yeah. Anyhow, wow. That's wow. a, all this was an interesting sidebar, but it, you know, the bottom line is how you deliver services is going to change because you're now going to be delivering services all over the world and the technology change, and there's still residual pandemic stuff going on, but clients are going to drag you into these other markets. That's yeah. the deal. And your firm yeah. has to be adaptive. Yeah, yeah, that agility is key. Fantastic. Let's jump straight into number three, Brian. What have you got there at number three? I think that uh, service firms are realizing when they look inwardly uh, at all of their internal stuff, they're realizing that they're dealing with way too many unique integrations and technologies. Um, and not a lot of this is serving them very well. So I'll give you an example. I just shared with a company yesterday, a big services firm here in the Midwest U.S., a kind of a systems map of all the different technologies that they would need to run their firm. Their biggest problem right now is how do they scale? And they can't scale right now unless they fix some critical problems, ones in resource management. But um, the other, you know, but the main thing is they have standalone systems for travel and uh, entertainment expense, you know, charging systems for project, uh, PSA automation, service automation, project planning, project portfolio management, uh, configure price quoting, knowledge management, and I could go on I mean, all the way. To, you know, and it turns out some of their most important systems are custom bespoke kind of applications that were developed uh, over the last 10, 20 years. And trying to keep all that stuff together is a real fragile mess. 
And as they continue to expand into more global markets, they're going to find the, the numbers of integrations are going to grow exponentially because every country you go into, you're probably going to have to get another different payroll provider with a completely different payroll interface and a whole bunch of different tax filing issues. And it just goes and goes. And if I could, I'd put a clarin, uh, klaxon horn ringing, you know, <laughs> and telling these folks that you need to considerably straighten out your existing systems because they're going to impede your ability to scale and grow. You know, you can't, yeah. Yeah. You, you just can't take on all of that overhead because it means all your data is now stored in all these independent systems. It's latent. It's got latency. It's got redundancy. It's out of date. By the time you get to it, you've got to clean that up. So that's just not going to work going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the expectation, certainly in the modern age where every single piece of information is at your fingertips in your personal life, whether it's social media or, you know, personal systems, banking, whatever it is, to then not that ha- have that same experience in your work environment. And you, you know, oh gosh, that report isn't up to date because the data doesn't run till overnight and all right. that kind of thing. You know, that's just not the modern expectation, certainly with a, a, a you know, younger millennial workforce that, that are just used to all they've ever known is having that data at their fingertips. And then to go and work for a, a, a company that doesn't have that type of technology and data instantly available, that's definitely off-putting. So, you know, I think, I think coming along with that uh, trend is definitely key. So my, uh, to your, to that point, my kids know that I, uh, you know, this is my world. I, I work with uh, large software products and uh, they've heard me over the years, uh, you know, complain and grouse about a few of them along the way and talk up a few others. And uh, both of them, I, I said, they're my kids. They're both grown up and doing well. One's in corporate accounting mm-hmm. and one's in, um, one's in the aerospace industry. And they'll call me up. They've, they've changed jobs even a couple of times saying, Oh my God, dad, you just won't believe that this, you know, their employer, they use blank, fill in the blank. And he goes, Mm. this is some awful software. It's got an ugly green screen interface. There's no mobile connectivity. There's nothing available on the cloud. I can't even work remotely one day because there's just no way to get it done, you know, uh, from dialing perspective. And uh, they would never recommend somebody else go to work for those companies, mostly because of what you just described, because the employee experience dealing with all these, you know, geriatric applications that were more appropriate for their grandparents, not them, mm. is uh, is a real turnoff. And if you're trying it's to if you're trying to win the war for talent, and that's what you have for systems, their day one experience on the job is going to be um, a wretched one, and they're not going to stick with you at all. That's assuming you even get them in the door. That's right. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. All right. That was fantastic. Number two, Brian, counting us down. We're almost at number one. That's the number one's a big one. I can see it on my screen in front of me. So I'm looking forward to that one. But number two, what did you put at number two for us? I called it the end of the bespoke era. And um, and that word bespoke, that's something I heard uh, in droves in the United Kingdom in the uh, 80s and 90s. And I've never dropped it out of my vocabulary. But all this custom code, uh, which is quite prevalent in a lot of service companies, um, has kind of hit the end of life, frankly. Uh, much of it was written uh, to run on on-premise technology, and that's not really where the world of technology is anymore. And there are much better 
in some cases, much better products that can now be found, most all of which run in the cloud today. Uh, that cloud has the advantage, like we were talking about in the previous point, where people, all they need is an internet connection or a smart device, you know, and they can get into this stuff anywhere on the planet. The one caveat I would tell listeners is that be careful about one thing. What your firm defined to be the boundaries of, say, a custom-built PSA solution may not be the way the marketplace decided what goes in or out of a PSA solution. So there's sometimes some, uh, there are some rough issues you've got to cover because the way you do things doesn't line up with the standard practices out there in the marketplace. But the writing's on the wall. It's an expensive process to build custom code and code has a long tail. It, imagine like a little tiny chihuahua with an empire state building <laughs> tail that's dragging behind it. And if you're going to have this custom code, you got to ask yourself, is this application so massively strategic uh, that we have to have it custom? Or is it something we could probably buy 95% of the same functionality and subscribe to it, whatever, and that's where you ought to go. Save your custom development stuff for things that are going to make a huge difference in market share, in competitive advantage, and to the bottom line. It's been a long time since I've run into a client, for example, that had a custom, say, fixed asset system. And in fact, if you ever run in, any of your listeners ever run into one of those, run, run, run away from <laughs> that firm, because that's somebody who thinks they're doing something really creative in fixed asset accounting. And creative and accounting are two words that never belong together, <laughs> because you will get a jail term when that happens. So I'm not sure custom is really where we need to go for a lot of the PSA market ever again. I think we pass we've crossed that threshold yeah definitely uh, and and it's it the initial cost the the delays in implementation versus just switching on a product but also the long-term supportability you know what happens when the provider that's given you that custom solution um you know the person that wrote the code leaves the company and now you're stuck with this kind of weird orphan solution that nobody else in their company can support you know it's it's a really tough um tough yep. place to put put yourself from a cost perspective from you know for a long-term support perspective eventually at some point in time that's going to get retired and you're probably going to go with a uh, an off-the-shelf solution anyway and like you said that that you know the cost of the the development versus the uh, the 95 percent that you mentioned hey we might be missing five percent of what we really want but i'm more than willing to adapt to that 95 percent for the sake of not going down that bespoke and custom route. I think that's a, a really important change. I think that's a great one for, for number two there, Brian. I think that's really, really well stated. And that's also a recognition of the fact that the PSA marketplace has definitely matured and matured a lot. And yeah. uh, now we're actually seeing uh, a lot of M&A activity going on in, the, in this space. And we're going to see the market uh, starting to coalesce around a few major leaders and so this is a different age of software for the professional services space. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. And we cover that a lot on this podcast. You know, the the services industry is underserved by all sorts of things, you know, technology, podcasts, uh, content, thought leaders. Um, and that's why we do this podcast to try and bring some of that to the fore. But I think you're right from a technology perspective. It's been uh, fragmented and now it's really coming together as these companies are, are maturing. So really exciting time, especially if you're um, you know, a, a client or somebody or a services organization that's looking to automate what you're, uh, what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis to really squeeze that extra amount of, of profitability, efficiency, revenue margin. 
those tools are out there. And I think that's an exciting time to, to be looking at automation in this space. Very cool. The end of the bespoke age. Yep. What a great number two. And a big bill. I don't know whether we've, Josh, you could probably put a drum roll in here for our number one. But number one, Brian, on the list, what have you got at number one? The biggest trend that you're seeing in 2022 in the services and technology space? I think the big eye opener is going to be how advanced technology is going to radically change service processes and business outcomes. And one of the areas I think that's really worth noting is uh, how resource management is going to happen in service operations and organizations. Uh, resource management's been a real problem area for companies because um, it's limited to, you know, one resource manager is lucky to be able to keep track of 50 to 100 professionals and get them staffed and figured out, you know, remember things like what's appropriate for their career advancement. Do they have any special issues about where they can travel or not? Uh, are there permit issues? Uh, what's the right thing from a financial perspective for the company? You know, is this person too expensive for this client project and whatever? And there's just so many variables that a resource manager has to look at. And they had no automation other than the spreadsheet. And that's what most of them used. And, uh, you know, they didn't even use the HR system because most people if you have a, a very traditional HR product that rarely gets data updated in it. And so it doesn't have the latest skills that somebody has. So, again, the resource manager is keeping track of that. This area has been overdue for some advanced technology, particularly things like artificial intelligence or machine learning. And now you can start seeing it. And these will fundamentally change not only the economics of how a service firm works because of a better way to optimize the staff, the staffing on jobs, but they'll also change the careers and the um, service personnel's, you know, satisfaction, possibly retention with the company. So there's a lot of really great benefits that are come by using these smart advanced technologies to change that one area. But that's not the only place we're going to see these advanced technologies impact uh, service firms in just in the, you know, over the next year. You can now get technology that can spot T&E fraud, travel and entertainment expense fraud. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a company in Georgia that has a phenomenal set of tools, and they can look at things like – uh, you know, Matt, they'll pull all your company's corporate credit card transaction data for a couple of years, and they can spot little things that you've been doing like, oh, you got a trip, uh, an airline flight approved. You didn't take it, but you got a credit put to your credit card, and then you use that balance on your credit card to buy your significant other an Hermes mm. scarf for an anniversary. <laughs> That's fraud. Uh, mm. They can spot things like you and I went to some um, software show, for example, and we shared a cab over or an Uber car over to the event. You charged it in that immediate pay period using the receipt that you got. And I got one of those like tear off paper receipts. Sometimes cab drivers will give you. And I waited two or three time periods before I submitted it. And we both submitted the same expense for the same amount instead of splitting the fee. Yes. And it's hard to figure that out unless you can look over a large amount of time and data and everything else to spot the fraud. And those are just two little examples. But these guys tell me at this one company that about 7% of all T&E transactions are fraudulent and they can oh, spot wow. them. Mm, fantastic. So that's one area they're using big data. Yeah, amazing. Uh, another one is to use chatbot technology to uh, help 
your service people in the field get answers to all kinds of questions or even to process something like they're, they're maybe out working a client, but maybe they have to make a change to their insurance, whatever. Just let a chatbot do it for you and uh, keep HR out of the loop. And you, you can do that 24-7. You can use artificial intelligence to find net new talent. It's amazing. There are some databases out there, uh, a couple of companies, they have over a billion resumes in their system. And you just tell them, like, I need these kind of skills in this zip code. And, um, I, you know, and they need to have a couple of uh, other kind of qualifiers. And they'll tell you immediately, like, here are the 48 people in that one area that you could reach out to and go uh, contact as possible passive job seekers. Um, I mean, we're seeing also the smart technologies in planning and forecasting. Uh, service firms struggle to plan and forecast because they kept so much of their information in uh, spreadsheets and other disconnected things. You put it all in a modern PSA and have access to data warehousing and, and you know, kind of capabilities. And now you can do these replans and reforecasts multiple times a week if you want to. And I'm also hearing some vendors looking at ways they can use these advanced technologies to detect potentially out-of-whack projects. You know, what projects are possibly about to fail or whatever, and it's looking at leading indicators that can be quite subtle to find out where intervention by management may be required. So, uh, you know, for the next year or two, I think we're going to just see an explosion of these advanced technologies come in that will make service firm operations people and leaders want to radically rethink how they run their company and how they use technology to advance their business. That's the number one. What, what, what a number one. I mean, that's just, that's just a, such a great point. I mean, these types of technologies have been around a little while in other industries, but coming into yeah. the services industry, I mean, each of the ones that you mentioned, yeah, if each of them can have an incremental impact on overall revenue and increased margin, you need lower cost, you're know, catching all of that expense fraud is a great example. Um, you know, one thing that we see a huge amount of, obviously, with what we do is that optimization of those, those resources, but not just the resources in your self-contained organization across your subcontractor pool, your network of people that you work with. I think that kind of stuff can can really drive both efficiency, but also better client outcomes. I think that's what we forget a lot of the time with this type of technology is it's it's improving the operation of the services team, you know, increasing the 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 margin and the money that they can make. But really the the reality is it's a better client experience for the people they're serving as well. You know, getting more skilled people uh, that are more available in the right uh, locations geographically with the right skill set, that's just going to drive client outcomes and client experience for, for those services firms as well. There's one self-protection one that I did want to share with you that's really kind of out there. Ernst & Young actually came mm. up with this using uh, advanced technology. They'll read uh, a client's or their own, you know, like emails and uh, text messages and other kinds of electronic communications and they're they're looking for communications that originate from countries that are known to have some real problems with, let's say, ethics and bribery and those kind of matters, corruption. Mm -hmm. And uh, they look at those messages and they look in the native language for words or phrases like a facilitation fee. 
or some of these other kind of words. And I love this kind of technology because it's almost like a future crimes application. It's detecting a potential violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, a bribe, if you will, before mm. it ever even happens. It, you know, right. It's picking off the communications that are coming into the company, and so it'll shut it down real quick. And I think service people need to be careful of, in this space because – uh, they may have clients or client executives who want them to do some deals or do some things that are probably going to, you know, not good for the company or their employer or good for the client itself. So we'll see these technologies, some of which could really be used to drive better behavior uh, all the way around. And that was just a weird example of that. But um, anyway, yeah, the idea of we'll take this into future crime kind of detection is it's just an amazing kind of direction uh, where this stuff could go. Well, Brian, I think you've absolutely nailed that list there. I think that top five are a really uh, fantastic and, and rich group of things that we discussed. Thank you for for driving us through that. Number one, completely agree. That kind of advanced technology is exactly where uh, we're going to see huge invan- uh, advancements moving forward. Uh, and our prospects, clients, services firms are going to really see some benefit from that. So I, I really hope uh, that they learn to embrace. And back to one of your other points as well around those unique integrations, making sure that those products and advanced technologies are integrated into the workforce and the workplace as effectively as possible without these huge, enormous, big uh, uh, custom bespoke solutions. I think that's really key to connecting those things together as well. Brian, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show. Any final nuggets from your, your top five list today that you've shared with us? The key thing I would tell you in talking with leaders of service operations is they struggle to figure out how to scale. This has always been a vertical uh, where the only way you scale was by hiring more people, you know, and now we have an opportunity to really rethink how do you scale. And some of these new technologies, I think, bring scale opportunities to the fore and companies are going to have to do more work to imagine what is the new art of the possible that's going to allow them to really dramatically grow their company and grow it very profitably and very quick. And those are a different set of challenges than what these leaders have been used to in the past. So it's scaling without hiring, you know, mat hordes of people is going to be the, the new thing. going to be key. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Brian, thank you so much. Um, where can our audience find you? Where, where do you hang out on the internet? How can they get, get in touch with you? What's your, what are your contact details, website, LinkedIn? Uh, Feel free I'm to at, uh, on LinkedIn, I'm at Brian S. Summer, B-R-I-A-N, capital S, S-O-M-M-E-R. You can get me at brian at vitalanalysis.com. I also write a ton of stuff for Diginomica, and um, that's how a lot of people know me is uh, because I write all these uh, tough love pieces on that that, uh, publication. Fantastic. Brian, well... So fantastic to have you on, a real industry titan. I think you, you prove, you've proven that industry titan title that we gave you at the start of the show. I think we could all agree that that's, uh, that's exactly where we can place you in the world. Brian, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, it was really great to have you and, and running through that top five list. I like this format, by the way. Feel free to reach out to us with any other suggestions on formats uh, like this. I think this worked really, really well. Reach out to us, podcast at mavenlink.com. With any follow-up questions for myself, for Brian, or anything we've discussed today, suggestions for future episodes, and we really look forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Brian, thank you again, and we we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.